Stranger Rangers. This is Bree. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Like around October 31st. It'd be perfect. <laughs> He's like, yes. He just answers and revs. Yes. <laughs> Gosh, it's okay. We'll get through it. So, a couple FYIs. Hold on. That noise you hear is our neighbor cleaning up their yard. So, like, good job, neighbor. Yes, we appreciate that. So, just like Bree said, <laughs> if we're not recording a Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> episode, just FYI. Yeah. No, we have not stepped up our sound effects. Um, I don't think that you would want the sound effects to the case that I'm going to be covering today. Just throwing that out there. So. Oh. Yeah. And I'm a little loopy. <laughs> and a little loopy. I'm sure most of you, if you're yeah. on Instagram, maybe on the Facebook, saw our poor little Fatina's <sighs> injury. So if you haven't seen it already, I had an injury and I'm needing surgery to get repaired. I have a ruptured Achilles from... From me thinking I'm still young enough to play sports. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to use this moment, and I say this, uh, I'll tread carefully, knowing firsthand now how liberal the doctors are with handing out prescription med- medicine. Oh, my God. Um, they gave me a ton. A, a ton. ton. A ton of medicine. And maybe the type of injury warrants it I understand it like it's a ruptured Achilles but I can see how attainable it is because for the 60 pills they gave me yeah it was $17 oh my god you think they would make it hard one way or the other I mean yeah you have insurance but that is still like insurance didn't cover any of it what yeah so $17 out of pocket for 60 six zero pills so I'm getting on the soapbox of all that to say that, that um, if you have someone, if you know someone that's going through uh, an addiction issue through with opioids, um, please give a listen to episode 17 that we had with guest Aaron Mardnick, uh, which is one of Mackenzie's friends growing up. Um, it talks about the opioid crisis, her story with her brother um, and fentanyl. Um, which and I also had a, a really good friend pass away from um, accidental fentanyl usage, so or overdose. So um, it's been a subject that's been <laughs> going around a lot in my house right now, which is like that happened, and then I had this injury, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like they, they just the doctors say that's an it's they want to help but that's maybe not the way to help like that's absolutely well like I told you I was like I could understand like filling a certain amount and then giving you the option for a refill if you're really feeling like you needed the refill to just prescribe that much flat out right away it could be easily misused easily misused and easily tempting to use it Use it or get rid of it. Right. Right. So, again, I think it's episode 17. If you haven't given that a listen already, I would say go back. Definitely worth a listen. Definitely one of those episodes that um, is still very resonating. 
and I know Portland in the last week or week and a half at this point by the time you listen to this is had what the city is calling a bad batch of cocaine in mm-hmm. the streets and there were at least eight deaths attributed to fentanyl. Oh, yeah, I saw that on the news the in other day. In the course of a five-day weekend. Yeah. There were, and that was just in the Portland area. Right. So that didn't even include our friend, but um, it's just, it's crazy. It's, um, it's so sad. So sad. So I'm taking care of myself. My wife uh, is gatekeeping the drugs. Not yep. that I would abuse them, but I just, I want that accountability because For it sure. is very easy to just be like, I'm in pain. I'm going to take two. Yes. And I don't want to do that. I have, you know, putting the safety measures in place where I'm eating before I eat. And I'm waiting five or six hours before the next dose. So hopefully surgery will fix all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll just get things back nipped, tucked, and tied together <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> back in working order. And lay okay. off the intramural sports for, oh my for gosh. a little bit. Yeah, at least six months. That's going to be gnarly. For sure. Yeah. Well. And rehab. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for the uh, suggestions on what to listen to and, and watch. So I appreciate all that. Oh, yeah. The list gets real short when you're uh, couch bound. <laughs> yes. Most definitely. Yep. <laughs> well, um, I'm about to ruin your day <laughs> because I need... Other people to feel the stress and anxiety and discuss of how I felt researching this whole case. I have known about these two people for a really long time because a coworker, my beloved coworker Amanda, is always sending me suggestions. <laughs> um, told me to watch a documentary on these two about a year ago, and I watched it. It was mind blowing. And we had a little bit of time off, and so I was like, now is the time where I can go and take a really deep dive into these two. There is a new documentary about, I believe, some some tapes of these two that just recently came out. I did not have the opportunity to watch that updated one. So if there's any information that may be lacking from people that have watched that one recently. Um, I guess just know that that was not something that I was able to view when I was diving into this case. Sure. This is the Ken and Barbie killers. (laughs) Ruin my day, (laughs) Brie. I am about to ruin your day. If you aren't familiar with this case in the U.S. because it happened so close, any of our Canadian listeners are without a doubt going to be aware of these two. Let's just get right into it. The first half of this, I don't even want to call them a dynamic duo, this disgusting duo, is Paul Kenneth Bernardo. Paul was born August 27, 1964, in Scarborough, Ontario. He is the youngest of three kids. His parents were Kenneth and Marilyn Bernardo. And it's not shocking that Paul ended up being the ginormous piece of shit that he is based off of his own father's behavior. Okay. His dad allegedly would sexually abuse Paul's older sister, Deborah. He would eventually receive pedophilia and voyeurism charges. Now, voyeurism is basically getting off on watching other people act sexually. Like peeping Toms? 
Exactly. Okay, okay. PB Toms. I mean, I think you could even loop in watching pornography. Oh, okay. In, into that. I mean, if you really wanted to go there. So he was already like a hypersexualized man, his dad. And he was eventually charged in 1975 for molesting a young girl. In not, addition, his, not his daughter. Not his daughter, okay. but another separate young girl. And his dad was also really, really abusive to um, Paul's mom. Oh. I think that this was probably a lot of verbal abuse. I didn't read anything about, like, physical abuse necessarily, although that would not surprise right. me at all if that if that came into play. And she became very, very withdrawn from the family. I think that she was super depressed probably didn't feel that great about herself, about her love life, about her family situation. Mm. And she was so removed from the family that she even moved herself into the basement at one point. Oh, that's so sad. So you have this super abusive dad, this distant withdrawn mom, not exactly a a healthy family dynamic. But despite this dysfunctional family, Paul did end up, I mean, presenting himself as a happy and a thriving child. Like, people on the outside wouldn't have really guessed that all of this stuff was going on at home. And I think there was a shift in the way that Paul ended up viewing women when he was 16 years old. Now, one day, there was an argument that had been happening, and his mom revealed to him that she had been having an affair on his dad, Oh, which meant that Kenneth was not Paul's biological father. Oh, a previous affair. Yeah, she had an affair while they were married, and I read somewhere that it was with a former boyfriend of hers, so it wasn't some stranger. It was a previous romantic relationship she had had previous to this marriage damn mom i know now you you would think that paul would be like ecstatic to hear this news that his piece of shit of a dad wasn't his actual biological father he'd be like whoo dodge that bullet that genetic bullet yeah that genetic bullet but instead um paul was livid he called his mom a slut and a whore And she obviously didn't like that very much. And she fired back that he was the bastard from hell. Oh, no. So definitely hurtful words for a kid. Such hurtful words. I mean, he wasn't really like spreading the love back to her. But the idea of his mom. You know, it's the parents or the mom's job to nurture and not give her kids shit words like that. I, I would definitely agree for sure. Now, I kind of start to think that this is maybe where Paul maybe started to have an unhealthy view of women or not a positive one. Um, We start to see his extreme behavior happen when a girlfriend of his leaves him for one of his friends. And his solution to that problem is he just sets some of her shit on fire. Oh, shit. He's 16 at this point? Uh, Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, that sounds like a country song, but (laughs) (laughs) or a uh, a Jasmine Sullivan song, set your shit on fire. (laughs) Exactly. Now, Paul would end up going off to university in 1982, and this would be at the University of Toronto Scarborough. He did get a great job with a company called Amway. I believe basically what he did was like a job in sales. It sounds like it was one of those like MLM companies, which is 
you know, like direct sales sure. to people. You're kind of your own boss sort of deal. And oh, yeah. he really, really engulfed himself in that culture, like even more so that he would use a lot of these sales techniques that he would read about to um, help him and his friends pick up women. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> How would you do that? <laughs> I mean, I just think of this like sleazy Cause it's like salesman. You can go on a date with me for only $50 and then a relationship <laughs> might blossom. Like exactly. what? <laughs> if you invest in this now, it will, it, it will pay off tenfold later on. Look at all my successful friends and their girlfriends. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don't you want this arm candy? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I don't really know the ins and outs of what led to that, but sure. he... Obviously, him and his friends found a way to intertwine the two, which is... That's hilarious. It it is pretty hilarious. Now, Bernardo's sex kinks really started to um, get pretty aggressive at this point, and he would end up picking up a lot of these women that he would spit his game at, and he would just delight in humiliating these women, and he would have... Before I say this next part... I'm going to give a moment to say that any parents out there that are listening to this case right now, this is not going to be a case that you want to listen um, with your children Yeah, around. Sounds like a lot of sexual conversations. Yes. So heavily explicit. And I'll yeah. try to get a, give a buffer before I get into the really, really gruesome parts. It's like the birds and the bees, but maybe with some leather. So just like leather chains, see your kids out. Gags. Yeah. Let's just, let's just separate ourselves. Um, but in addition to humiliating these women, he would have very aggressive sex and very aggressive anal sex with them. Damn. And these relationships would become increasingly violent and he would threaten the women that if they disclosed any of this abuse, like he would basically like shame them. Sure. You know? Yeah. So that's a little bit of our dear friend Paul's background. Now, part two of this is a woman by the name of Carla Leanne Homolka. And this name might sound familiar to some people who have watched the um, Don't Fuck With Cats documentary right? about Luca Magnata. Yep. I don't go into the details of it, but I, I'm, I believe that there was some something that tied the two of them together. And correct me if I'm wrong or if you recollect this, but there was rumors of like them being romantically involved or him being like obsessed with her. Yes. So that's one thing I do recall, but cause Luca Magnata's case is near and dear to my heart. Yeah. It was the first one on the first podcast. Episode, yeah. Right. So from what I remember is that Luca was obsessed with her, with her specifically. Never had met. They had right. never crossed paths. Right. So he was just obsessed with her, mm-hmm. not um, her and Bernardo's relationship or anything. Right. And I think that's what I told you when you told me you were doing this case. Yeah. I'm like, I think that's all I know about her other than they did some fuckery together. But yeah. I don't know the details. So that's why I'm sitting here like, what happens next? Because exactly. I don't know. Um, the only other mention I heard was of Luca being obsessed with her. Right. Yeah. So kind of interesting how those two like really super high profile cases. Yeah. Like have this weird connection. 
But Carla Homolka was born on May 4th, 1970 in St. Catharines, Ontario. She was the oldest of three girls. Her other two sisters were Lori and Tammy. And her parents were, I believe her dad's name is Carol. It's K-A-R-E-L. I don't know if it's Carol or Carell, but Carol is not an uncommon man. I mean, it's not super well known, but... Male name? Male name, yeah. We'll just call him Carol. Carol and Dorothy Homolka. Now, her dad did have a bit of a drinking problem, and he also was pretty verbally abusive um, to the women in the family. But Carla herself, she was, I mean, she was beautiful, thin, blonde, popular. I mean, when you talk about a Barbie doll, Carla was pretty much every spitting image of that that you can imagine in in the late 80s, early 90s, Mm. you know, tan. Just super pretty, popular, loved by everyone around her. Although she had been, she had also been said to have been pretty bossy Mm. to her friends. She liked to be in charge. I think that that maybe comes with a little bit of like being the eldest sister in the family. That will do it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you're blonde. Yeah. (laughs) Throw that out there. Gives you an edge on that. Carla did have a love for animals, and she worked part-time at a pet store in high school. So she had this really sweet, loving part about her. Although, even though she had this love for animals, she also had this dark side to her. And there's this story of her um, kind of wanting to do this little experiment. When she was younger, she made a parachute, and she took her friend's hamster, and she (gasps) threw it out the window wanting to see um, if it would fly. No, you get an egg for that. What? Or a hamster. No. I would say no hamster. Don't I think an egg hamster. is definitely a better option. What the hell? So well, weird, that tells right? you a lot about a person. Yeah, I think um, if going for a live animal is your first choice for doing a experiment like that, you're probably, I don't know. What are you going to interview? Questionable. You're going to interview the hamster after? Well, how did that feel, sir? <laughs> exactly. So, um, Well, the hamster died. Oh, no. So there, there would not have been an interview, unfortunately. And they buried this little guy. But a little while later after they buried it, she really wanted to dig it back up and see no. what its decomposed body looked like. Yeah. Okay. I understand curiosity. How old is she? It just says Teens, it just maybe? said when she was younger. So I don't know oh, if this God. was like pre-pet store teenage years or if this was uh, amongst those years. Yeah. My guess is she was probably a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. Dot, my dot, stomach dot. hurt. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. We're not even. I, oh yeah. If your stomach yet. hurts now, yeah. well, you should just get you a barf bag because. <laughs> This is like the G-rated part of this. Um, But despite that, she was a typical teenager, although at the same time, she did seem to be a bit troubled. This kind of carried on into her teenage years. She would have really high highs talking about her future, going to college, what she wanted to be, making those types of plans. But then she would also have like the really low lows of being like really depressed, introverted, um, claimed to friends that she tried to OD on sleeping pills at one point and had showed a friend a cut on her wrist of where she allegedly tried to commit suicide. Mm. So her friends 
do talk of kind of thinking that these suicide attempts were just purely attention seeking. That's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And I really hate to say that. um, But just based off of the person that I believe Carla to kind of be, that wouldn't really surprise me. Sure. At that point in time. Um, But obviously, you know, the the cry outs are are definitely stuff to take seriously, of course, you know. Um, so in addition to that kind of bizarre behavior, I guess you could say, um, she was also really into like darker things like Ouija boards and burning candles and holding seances and kind of that whole like occult scene was like really interesting and attractive to her. And she really kind of, um, honed in on some of those activities But when she graduated high school, she kind of graduated from her pet shop job, and she did get a job at a vet clinic as a vet assistant. Oh. Assistant. Assistant. So that love for animals carried on more into her adult years. That's that's a good follow through, for sure. Yeah. And then in October 1987, she even went to Toronto and attended a... um, I think it was a pet store convention or a pet convention. I don't know what goes on at these things, but it sounds freaking cute as hell because I'm just hoping that there's like a lot of like puppies and kittens. And (laughs) what it sounds like. I mean, in her case, hopefully there weren't any hamsters that she could have gotten her hands on. But how cute. It's just a bunch of play pens. That'd be cute. Yeah, exactly. I want to be in a bunny pen. Oh, my God. We went to Coastal the other day, and this is, like, the time of year for, like, chicks and stuff like that. They had tubs of chicks, and then I went around the corner with our baby, and there was a bin of baby ducks. Oh, I know. Have you seen turkeys? I... They look like ducks, but not. They all look like chicks, but oh my god! But it made me think of the baby geese that my mother-in-law had (laughs) once upon a time, and those things were cute (laughs) as hell. Oh my god! So, anyways, um, at this pet convention, well, not at the pet convention, but on October seventeenth, this is when Carla would meet twenty-three-year-old Paul Bernardo in a hotel restaurant, and Carla is seventeen at the time, so they have about a six-year age gap between the two. Oh. Now, they had an instant attraction to one another, so much so that it is rumored that they slept together the first night that they met. Oh, damn. And I don't necessarily know the um, the ages of what qualifies for, like, statutory rape or anything like that in Canada necessarily, but it obviously wasn't that frowned upon because of how much we see um carla's family to really love paul later on so they had a seven year gap six six 17 to 23 give or take six to seven years okay yeah so i mean for for that age especially carla being 17 like a pretty significant age gap but you know in the real world as you get older not that drastic right of a difference it really isn't no i mean we see people that are 10 years apart that's yeah like my parents exactly Mm -hmm. all the time so now at this point when carla meets paul what she didn't know yet and we see later on that obviously she doesn't care is that paul was already a well-established rapist in scarborough oh shit And this is when we get into our portion of the very well-known Scarborough Rapist. Now, Paul would end up being... Have you heard of that before? No. Okay. Yeah. It's another layer to this just, like, shit cake. 
Shit lasagna. Shit lasagna that these two are baking. Paul would end up being one of the most well-known serial rapists in Scarborough. These attacks would span from 1987 to 1991, and his M.O. was basically girls and young women, and he mostly approached them from behind using a knife to threaten them, and there are a lot of cases where he um, approaches them at bus stops. Oh. And... I'm going to go through all of these because I just really want everyone to understand just what a ginormous piece of shit Paul is. And so these are the rapes, the rapes and the attempted rapes that he had committed throughout these years. So on May 4th, 1987, his first rape takes place and he followed a girl home and raped her she was 21 years old and when he raped her he did this in the front of her parents house what like on the front lawn on the lawn yes and this would not be the first time that he raped a girl on her parents property oh my god and this attack lasted for over a half an hour (gasps) out in the open out in the open in front of her parents house Following on May 14th, he raped a 19-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. On July 27th, he attempted his third rape, and this victim, he beat her and ended up fleeing after she, sorry, she ended up fleeing after she fought back for her life. Yeah, girl. So luckily, his third attempt got away. Now, on September 29th, he actually broke into a home and attempted to rape a 15-year-old girl by entering her bedroom. He jumped on her back and threatened her with the knife. Fortunately, her mom came in and started screaming. Oh, good. And he fled. What the hell? I know. And what makes this situation even more fucked up is, sadly, another man by the name of Anthony Hannah Mayer, who was 19 at the time, ended up being falsely convicted for this oh, crime. Oh, no. That's the worst. I know. He, um... Can you imagine just an ever being in that scenario where you're like, I didn't do anything. Someone helped me prove that. And, they're, and they're, everyone's just against you. And you end up going to fucking jail for something so terrible. Absolutely. That's just my worst nightmare. For sure. I mean, and especially something so serious. So serious. Like this, you know, and you go into prison and that's the title that you have on your head for why you're right. in there. I mean, that's right. dangerous in, <laughs> oh, shit. in of its oh, own. But it's reported that Paul ended up confessing to this in 2006 and Anthony was exonerated in 2008. That feels so close to now. So close. I read somewhere that like his time in jail was really short, like 16 months or something like that. And the wrongly convicted guy, the wrongly convicted guy. And maybe that is all the time that he spent in jail. And maybe he came out and just had to be this this registered sex offender Uh, until 2008 when he was finally like (laughs) that title was removed from his name. That part was a little bit confusing to me, but that would Makes that makes sense. sense. Yeah. That time, because from 87 to 2008, I mean, that's... That'd be a long time for 20 years for, for attempted. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in, on December 16th, he raped a 15-year-old girl, and this assault lasted about an hour. I believe that this <sighs> one was one of the first ones that happened near or at a bus station. 
And the next day, Toronto police issued a warning out to young women in the Scarborough area that were traveling alone at night, and especially those taking buses. Bus station? At a bus stop. Oh, my God. Sorry. Yeah. Holy shit, though. Yeah, not a full-on station, but at a bus stop. I mean... I, I just think about that so much in Portland, you know, I mean, we oh, have a God, huge yeah. public transportation system. Mm-hmm. And how often do you see single people waiting for the bus? Dude, I especially mean, in December when our daylight hours are mm, so short. I mean, gosh. it could be five o'clock at night. Oh, it could be three thirty and it's dark already <laughs> that's here. True. So honestly, like that's why we have that you know, this the depressional the seasonal depression so bad here because it could be three thirty and it's dark as shit already. Absolutely. That's the part that kills me about the <sighs> wintertime, honestly. It's I not know. even the cold, it's not even the rain. It's the it's, dark. it's the lack of daylight. For sure. It kills me. Holy crap, though. He was just out in the open, just boldly doing this shit. Mm-hmm. Catching them off guard, presumably holding a knife Damn. to them and dragging them off. Now, on December 23rd, his fourth rape of a se- was his fourth rape of a 17-year-old. It said that he raped the girl with the knife that he used to threaten his victims. Um, I don't know if that means... Now, what? when it says that he raped the girl with the knife, I don't know if that means that he just held the knife to her while he raped her. Oh, no. Or if he actually physically oh, used no. the knife Fuck. for that. Fuck this world, man. <laughs> I know. Now, at this point, after this rape happened, is when police would officially start to refer to this individual as the Scarborough rapist yeah. in the media. Because they've figured out that he has a certain M.O. at this point. Exactly. Yeah. They've very, very yeah. well established a pattern of... That's so weird. Like, the public thing? I know. That like, he's so bold. So bold. I, that is just... That is wild. Totally. It, it really is truly wild. Now, the next year, there would be a little bit of a gap on April 18th of 1988. There would be his fifth assault of another 17-year-old. May 25th, Bernardo was almost caught by a Metro Toronto investigator who was pretty much staking out a um, a bus shelter, so a, bu- a bus oh, stop. Fuck yeah, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna look. I'm gonna stay here and stare. Uh huh. So probably somebody undercover, maybe or sure. in uniform. Um, he noticed Paul hiding under a tree, and then they began a foot chase. But Paul did get away, unfortunately. Oh. So he was almost, almost caught on May 25th. Now, just five days later on May 30th, Paul's sixth rape would happen about 25 miles away in Clarkson, where he attacked an 18-year-old woman. We would jump to October 4th. Paul attempted his seventh rape. The young woman was able to fight him off because she was such a badass. Good. But he did stab her twice. He got her he got her once in the thigh and once to the buttock, which required her Fuck. to get about 12 stitches. I know. A freaking knife stab to the ass. Like, oh. ouch. But what a freaking savage to fight him Fuck off yeah. and get away after being stabbed twice. What was her name? Uh, we don't have a name. Damn it, girl. Good I know. For you. Seriously. Now, on November 16th, um, he followed he followed through with his seventh rape of an 18-year-old in the backyard of her parents' house once what the again. Fuck? I think he just I think he loves this thrill of committing these crimes in areas where he could, could be caught. Could be caught. Yeah. And just the satisfaction of being able to get away with it obviously feeds into his MO. That is bizarre. It's 
That is bizarre that he's, it, it, it's outdoors. Mm-hmm. I mean, he must be really confident in his ability to run away should someone come up on them. For sure. Well, and just like with the whole parents' house thing, I mean, yeah. you would think like help is so close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially mm-hmm. like I think he's feeding off of probably what's going through the young women's mind when he's doing this at their on their parents' property. It's such a power like, trip. Yeah. Such a power trip. Help is so close. If you scream oh. just loud enough, your parents would hear you, but you're not going to scream because you're so, aff- I mean, that that's just, I'm just spinballing and thinking yeah. that's probably what was going through sure. his head. Wow. Now on November 17th, the next day, Metro Police assembled a special task force dedicated to taking down the Scarborough rapist. So they've now developed this whole separate team just to look for this guy. On December 27th, an alerted neighbor chased Bernardo off after he had attempted his eighth rape. So he's Damn. all of these situations where he's like, they're so close. so close to catching him or even getting a description of him, you know? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because nothing like that has been submitted yet. On June 20th of 1989, he attempted to rape another woman who fought him off again. This time, she scratched his face, and he fled from the scene with these injuries. On August 15th, his eighth rape of a 22-year-old woman, he had stalked her the previous night outside the window of her apartment that night before, and he waited for her to arrive home. This attack lasted a grueling two hours oh my gosh two hours it's that's a long time those minutes would feel like years you know what oh i mean my goodness i just can't even imagine you know, yeah there's situations in life where you know sometimes an hour will pass and you're like where did time go uh-huh and then there's times where you know you look at the clock and you feel like an hour's passed and it's been two minutes and can you, I cannot imagine being in that situation. Cannot imagine. No. It's the unfathomable. two hours for that girl. Absolutely. Damn. Now, on November 21st, this would be his ninth rape of a 15-year-old, again, that he saw at a bus stop. On December 22nd, his 10th rape was of a 19-year-old in a stairwell of an underground parking lot. What the fuck? May 26, 1990. The 11th rape of a 19-year-old that lasted over an hour. This time, his victim would get a good look at him and help the police come up with a computer composite photograph of him. Okay. Now, part of his MO was that he would approach these women from behind. So up until this point, none of them had really ever gotten a very good look at him until this point. And so they come up with this photograph of him and they release the photo two days later all throughout Toronto. And they get about 16,000 responses for it. And three of these 16 point the finger at Paul Bernardo. These people are like, that sketch looks an awful like this person that I know. From what I remember, and my brain's like digging up old files. Mm -hmm. Did he have long hair? Was there something no. distinguishable about him like that? No, he was very, like, average looking. He had blonde hair. It was kind of cut into that normal, like, early 90s, like, kind of shaved bottom with a little bit of the longer top. He was a very, very average looking average guy? Okay. dude. Yeah. So when they thought they recognized him then, it was probably a good hit. Like, they 
it was a I think the description was good enough to like specifics about his probably like facial features and stuff like that. Sure. That people were like, wow, that looks an awful lot like Paul. Okay. Well, then good for the artist and the person describing it. Absolutely. Our memory is such a fickle thing. Totally. I mean, you would think in a situation like that, like you're going to hyper focus on some details and then other f- details are just going to involuntarily be wiped away from your memory because you've just endured this hugely traumatic event you know what i mean so in july of 1990 two months after receiving a few tips that bernardo matched this photo they finally bring him in for questioning but not really a whole lot comes from this initial interview unfortunately and then february 1st 1991 paul committed his 12th rape in saint Catharines on his youngest victim who was just 14 years old Damn. Just a baby. Oh, my gosh. That 14. Mm-hmm. So, oh so, so young. And anytime I, I, like, hear these ages, and I know I've said this before, I just think of my youngest sister-in-law and, like, what she was like at certain ages. And when I think yep. back on her, like, being 14 years old and then reading the age of some victims, like, I just picture that and I'm... I, it just like yeah. makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. I think of the cousin's kids and I'm like, that's a year from now. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, that's, that, that's a baby. A baby. Such a baby. Ugh. Now, unlike most of his other attacks, he committed this one early in the morning and he was nowhere near a bus stop. So I, it was this totally oh. random. Didn't fit the MO. Did not fit the MO at all. Now, I just want everyone to keep in mind of this timeline only. So Paul and Carla met in 1987. He had only committed about four of these attacks prior to meeting Carla. Oh, that's right. So having a partner didn't stop him. Absolutely not. It did like the opposite. Completely did the opposite. And they eventually become partners in crime, as you can imagine. So throughout the Scarborough Rapist investigation, after receiving more tips and people pointing the finger at Paul, he's brought in again on November 20th, 1990. One of the people to call in was the wife of a friend of his, actually. (laughs) And police were told that Bernardo had been named back in 1987 not by this woman, but she's the one that told the police that he had been named back in 1987 for the for a rape investigation, and he was never interviewed for it. Oh. So she's like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> this description <laughs> matches this person that I know, and also, by the way, he was never investigated when he was pointed as a potential suspect in this... Uh, other rape. In this other rape. He also would supposedly talked to this woman about his sex life and how much he loved oral and rough anal sex. Not just like, you know, details that you share over a Sunday dinner when you have (laughs) friends over and definitely not details that I would imagine you would share with your friend's wife. I mean, locker room talk, maybe at best, but what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I like anal. Like what? (laughs) I like being um, stuffed like the turkey. Like I'll tell you no. what I'm gonna do with that turkey baster over Thanksgiving break. Yeah. God. 
don't want to know. Thank no. you very much. You can keep those details to yourself, sir. Yeah. So this interview that he was brought in for lasted just 35 minutes. And Paul even voluntarily gave up his DNA for testing during this interview. He's like, yeah, you can have my DNA, no problem. You know why, though? Because he probably thought, what was this, like late 80s? Mm -hmm. He probably thought they weren't going to do anything with it. Yeah. Or that the possibility wasn't, like, you know. Early 90s. Technology wasn't there like it is now. Not at all. Not even close. And so he did provide hair, blood, semen, and saliva samples. So he gave them, no pun intended, his full load. Like. (laughs) Have every part of me. Have every part of me. Another country song. What's behind (laughs) cup number three? (laughs) Yeah, he really gave them the whole shebang. Everything. He gave them a smorgasbord of, of DNA. Pick what whatever you like, Honestly. you know, on. Yeah. And so when they're doing this interview, the police are at, are asking Paul, like, you know, why do you think that you're being investigated for these rapes? And he does admit that he looks a lot like the sketch. He's like, yeah, that that totally looks like me. I understand why you guys brought me in. And he's like we've talked about before. He's just he's giving them everything to present his innocence yeah yeah that does look like me yeah you can have my dna here's four different forms of my dna i mean that's a good play absolutely that's a great play that's the best play yeah i know why i'm here Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's 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 my doppelganger that's a good that's a good game there's totally someone else walking around scarborough that looks exactly like me And the detectives were totally convinced by this. They were no. like, they're like, look at this well-educated, well-adjusted young man. He could possibly be responsible for these vicious crimes. And, and they let him go. Everything up. Yep. They give he gives them everything that they want with no questions asked. Oh my god. Now, like you were just saying, DNA forensics at this time was such new technology and especially in Canada and at the time in Toronto they only had one qualified scientist and technician to test all of this DNA essentially his DNA got lost in the shuffle of like literally hundreds of suspects that they had yeah you know unfortunately if you guys watch SVU which I hope you do I know Brie and I do um, and, and if you just, don't start, please, please, there's definitely enough to binge there. Yes. There's uh we were just talking about this recently about Lewis. Oh, and this motherfucker's making me think about Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. I hate him so much. So, like the worst, the worst character. I see his ever. actor in other shows, yeah. not SVU related. And I'm yeah. like, fuck you, Lewis. <laughs> I hate you. But it's making me think of like that. Um nonchalant like go ahead and have my dna because i know that the dna lab can fuck up the results because they can cross contaminate exactly then it's you know then it's your word versus mine it's totally that's the kind of bullshit it's reminding me of Mm -hmm. fuck him i know he is such a huge piece of shit and paul (laughs) lewis and paul So back to our dear Carla and Paul's relationship. So disgustingly enough, like I said, a large time span of the Scarborough rapist happens during Paul and Carla's relationship. Yeah, that's weird. And he was, I mean, it's a given. He was a master 
con artist and Carla's family loved him. Her parents were like totally smitten with him. Her sisters just loved him. They looked at him like this brother figure. He Mm-mm. just like totally fit right in with the Homolka family. And a fun fact unknown to Carla's family um, during this time, Paul did lose his um, very respectable job that he had as an accountant. And he took on the very appealing career of um, smuggling cigarettes across the U.S.-Canadian border. <laughs> Sorry. Like regular <laughs> cigarettes? Is that it? I mean... I guess I don't know why this market exists at this point in time. I don't know what's so special about Canadian cigarettes that you have to smuggle them into the huh. U.S. or vice versa. Weird. I'm going to have to look that up. Super weird. So this is his new um, very respectable career. But not like marijuana cigarettes, right? No. Like, like tobacco. Tobacco. To my understanding, tobacco. A wacky tobacco. All right. <laughs> now, Carla's other two sisters, like I said, really looked up to him. And during this time, Paul took a special liking to Carla's youngest sister, Tammy. Now, Paul did love Carla. He loved her so much. But something that he did not love about Carla is that she was not a virgin. And this was one of his main reasons of attraction towards his younger sister, Tammy. Through her, to her younger sister. Mm-hmm. Okay. So How much young, like how old was she? Um, at this time, Tammy's 15 years old. Oh my God. And Carla's his... 17 going on 18. Those are both his fucking age range too. A hundred percent. Yeah. Tammy on like definitely the younger end of it, but not anything that he um, hasn't considered before. Right. Now they would end up getting engaged at Niagara Falls on December 23rd, 1989, a very romantic engagement between Paul and Carla. And that's pretty cool. Carla (laughs) is so so cool. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Niagara Falls is a pretty pretty cool breathtaking (laughs) site. Yeah. Now, Carla was beyond smitten with their relationship. She was totally swooned by Paul. Um, I'm going to say to the point of, like, he he definitely maybe probably almost groomed her a little bit. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, she's right at that age where first love, propose, like, it seems like it's, there's nothing that could stop that. You yes. Know? No one knows me about our type of love. Like, mm, not at all. Yeah. Okay. But... I'm going to say all of that very lightly in that Carla is not a victim. (laughs) Sure. sure, In any of this. Um, She was so smitten enough with Paul that she was literally willing to do whatever she could to make Paul happy. They had this very Mm. apparent, like submissive, dominant relationship. And it becomes increasingly obvious that Carla was just as fucked up as Paul was. (laughs) Yeah. So this next portion, this is where I'm going to give you guys my first um, heads up. If you don't want to hear about super gruesome details, if you maybe have this on around your kids, let's just uh, go ahead and fast forward. Or maybe you just skip this whole two-parter because this is going to go into a two-part episode. So this is where we're going to talk about Tammy Homolka, and this is Carla's youngest sister. By 1990, Paul disclosed to Carla how much he liked 15-year-old Tammy and that he wanted to take her virginity. 
And he was putting a lot of pressure on Carla to make this a reality. And in Carla's attempts to give Paul what he wanted, she went into her sister's room and she broke the blinds on her windows so that Paul could stand outside and watch her undress while he masturbated. Girl, that's your sit. What the fuck? Dude, I know. I think this initially was her way to get around him actually having sex with Tammy at first. She was like, I feel like I can maybe give him what he wants by letting him see her naked without him taking her virginity. What the... I mean, obviously, I'm not going to understand any of this. You're not going to understand any of it. But being with a person who wants to physically be with someone else, like, I could never... Like, what's the point of your relationship? No. And and, and and it might work for some, you know, open relationship types of people. It wouldn't work for me. Not your 15-year-old sister. Not your 15... Uh, no. Good gravy. Absolutely not. So they're living under the same house then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he was so obsessed with Tammy that he would even make Carla dress up and act like Tammy when they would have sex. No, 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 no. He's just inching his way forward to his his big goal. Now, July of that year, Paul actually took Tammy across the border with him to get beer for a party. Why they had to do that again, I don't know, because the drinking age in Canada is 18 and I think has been so for a very long time. But I think he just kind of took her on this exciting little rendezvous. I don't know why they had to go across the border to do that. Now, while they were there, Paul later told Carla that they, quote, got drunk and began making out. And I think that this was a turning point for Carla. I do think that she was already like kind of fucked up at this point. But what happens next is completely on another level. I think she got really super jealous at this point and was kind of in this mindset of if I can't beat him, join him. No. And on July 24th, 1990, Carla stole some Valium from the vet clinic she worked at. Oh, that's good shit. Let me tell you, I've had it once in my life, but I don't remember what they did oral surgery. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, um, it, it, it more it more or less did the job and helped them almost accomplish what they wanted Fuck. to. So Carla gets this Valium and she's like, I'm going to be the sweet big sister and I'm going to make Tammy a nice little spaghetti dinner. And she laced the dinner with the Valium. After Tammy ate dinner, she soon lost consciousness and Bernardo began to rape her while Carla watched. (gasps) Tammy regained consciousness shortly after. So Paul stopped what he was doing and he kind of left the situation like nothing had happened and they just like played it off. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And over that summer, Paul even did weird stuff for Tammy and her friends, like he would buy them gifts and food and sodas that they said, quote, had a had film and a few white flecks on the top. Girl. He's he's just such a predator. Such a predator. Blatantly. He he does not care. This this no, man he has care. no shame. 
Now, six months later, this is going to be the height of what happens to Tammy. On December 23rd, 1990, the Homolkas were celebrating Christmas Eve a day early, and Carla had a very special gift planned for Paul because she's such a caring and considerate um, fiance. She still wants to like fully give him Tammy's virginity. Oh, that's right. They're not even married yet. No, they're not married yet. And so he had already kind of like done this assault on her, but it wasn't good enough. She she wanted to give him the real deal. And it's worth noting, because this plays a huge part in this whole case, that Paul loved to videotape things. And so they're at the Homolkas. They're having this really nice Christmas Eve celebration. And the parents go to bed. And then Paul and Carla invite Tammy to watch a movie with them. And they head downstairs to the basement. Now they're hanging out, they're having some very festive rum and eggnog, and I think Tammy is just probably so stoked at this point in time, like, oh my gosh, I get to have drinks with my cool older sister and her boyfriend that I love, and just like live in her best life. Like, who wouldn't be stoked? I I would have been excited at 15 years old to hang out with me. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. And stay up past after my parents went to bed and hang, you know, that whole thing. So, again, Carla, again, stole some medication from her work, and she spiked Tammy's eggnog with a heavy dose of a medication called halothane. Now, halothane is used pretty much for anesthesia, primarily through inhaling, but it also decompresses your airway. And so it's a very strong (laughs) sedative. And... Tammy drinks her drink, she passes out, and that's when Paul and Carla videotape themselves taking turns <gasps> raping Tammy. No. Wait, what? They take turns raping Tammy. She is raping her sister? Yes. So that that motherfucker could watch? Yes. Holy shit. And Your this is- baby sister... Yeah. Yeah. She is fully engulfed in his spider web. Willingly. And this would be the same tape that they were just videoing Christmas on. Like, this tape goes from, like, opening presents Christmas Eve to then cut them assaulting Tammy. Hard edit. Jesus. Now, during this rape, Tammy would regain moments of consciousness, and Carla would take the halothane, and she would soak a rag, and she would cover her mouth until she passed out again. Oh, my God. And they just repeatedly did this process of her waking up, subduing her unconscious, raping her, and they took many turns raping Tammy. (sighs) I know. Were they dr- drunk and high or themselves? Obviously, maybe drunk, right? <laughs> maybe maybe done... a little bit, but they did not need anything to convince say, themselves to do what they were doing. I feel like they would have done this sober. Like, cold stone sober, they would have done this. I mean, he 100% would have, right. and I believe that she would have, too. I mean, oh. she was just so in love with Paul. Now, at one point, Tammy began to vomit and aspirate on... On her vomit, and this would eventually leave Tammy with a gnarly chemical burn on her face. And 
they are they are censored. You have to like bypass stuff, but you can find these pictures online, and it it is crazy. It is a chemical burn what? on her face, like one whole side of her cheek, all around her mouth. It is crazy. From the throw up. From the halothane that was in her system. Oh, oh, wait. So, was it just? Was it actually ingested? Yeah, because she put it in her drink. Oh, and she ingested gotcha, it, and that's gotcha. how she passed out the first time. The first time, and then when she would regain consciousness throughout the assault, that's when she would hold the soaked rag over her face. Over her face. So she did have it in her system. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! So probably also mixed, you know, with like stomach oh, bile sure. and stuff like that. You know, it just created this crazy, crazy chemical burn. Well, I mean, like, and <laughs> you get chemicals, alcohol, and eggnog. You're <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Oh, on her face. I know. Mm. It's it's crazy. It just sucks because it's, well, it sucks because of the injury itself, too. But it will forever be a reminder of what happened to you. Absolutely. Even if you try to, you know, survive this mm-hmm. and try to move on and rebuild your life, you have this visual reminder in a place where it's like, Every day. Yeah. Exactly. Damn. And unfortunately, Tammy never gets that chance. Oh, shit. So Paul and Carla say that they tried to revive her and they called 911. They even dressed Tammy and they dragged her to her room and then they hid the evidence of all of the drugs. Tammy was taken to the hospital and passed away hours later after never regaining consciousness. Oh, no. Once paramedics arrive. Now, Paul and Carla were questioned about what happened that night, and their story was that it was all an accident. Tammy had had too much to drink. She started to throw up, and she choked on her vomit. Now, when asked about the burn on her face, Paul merely chalked it up to that it was a rug burn from them dragging her into her room. Oh, it was that bad that quick? Yes. And... Also, why you're you're a man? She is why a fifteen you? year old girl. She probably weighs like no more, no more than hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah. You can't carry her to her room. You you drug her by her face to her room by her and gave face. her a rug burn. Wow. Um, no, but despite <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, no, um, no, does not add up for me. Jesus. Now, despite the fact that Carla and Paul were up allegedly vacuuming and doing laundry in the middle of the night and the evidence of the chemical burn on Tammy's face, the family and even the Niagara Regional Coroner accepted this story and her death was ultimately ruled as accidental. No. Yes. There was never, um, from my understanding, there was never a talk screen that was done. If they Mm. had done one, I'm sure that they would have found the halothane in her system. Either that or not known for to look for it if, if it was if it's specifically a, a veterinary use type of That's thing. That's true too. That's true too. And it's later theorized that Carla knew exactly what she was doing that night and how much halothane she was giving her sister and that the dosage was no accident. Some people think oh. like, oh, maybe she was doing what she was doing before with the spaghetti, just giving her enough to deem her unconscious. No, I kind of suspect that Carla was so jealous at this point of how bad Paul wanted Tammy. Right. That she knew exactly how much of this like lethal sedative was she say. was giving her sister. Not only from how much she put in her drink, but the repeated soaking of the rag. Right. And 
putting her under multiple times. Like she knew it was going to be lethal. Exactly. But there was not going to be anyone to recount what had happened. Right. I mean, you're giving this medicine to like what at best like a hundred pound dog. Maybe. Maybe. Right. And you're giving this to a human who doesn't weigh probably much more. <laughs> right. Than that. So in the aftermath of Tammy's death, this is just three weeks later, Paul and Carla would carry on business as usual in the most fucked up way possible. This part of the case ruined me. This is when I texted you that day and I was like, I am literally <laughs> like mad at myself that I am even covering this case because this portion of it is so beyond my brain's capacity to imagine that two human beings would ever just do any of this stuff. So like we know, they like to videotape stuff and this portion is their infamous, the fireside chat. This video would be later submitted into evidence in court. You can find the transcript online Unfortunately, because I went through and read it, oh, no. and it is, it is unbelievable. Okay, so I was gonna say you look so stressed I'm right now. So <laughs> stressed. I mean, I haven't even put in here everything that's in that, and nor do I want to. This is very graphic, you guys. I, maybe we could uh, read it for Patreons later, or I can read it. For oh Patreons sure, later. yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it's heavy. So this this whole video takes place in the Homolka house, and it starts out in the basement where the two are lying naked of, in front of the fire. And Carla is an absolute monster. Now, like, this again takes place in the basement where they killed Tammy. Is this a fireplace? A fireplace. Okay. okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. in front of the fireplace in, in the basement of the Homolka house. While performing an assortment of sex acts, Carla is telling Paul how much she enjoyed watching him rape Tammy and that she also loved raping Tammy. She also tells him, you're the king, which is something that Paul loved to be called. And this is part of their whole like dumb sure. sub relationship. relationship. And she had a pet name for his penis. This name was Snuffles. And in the transcripts, um, there are quotes of her saying, I love you, Snuffles. And I loved it when you put Snuffles up her ass. Oh. When Paul asked her thoughts on the night that Tammy died, she said, quote, I felt proud. I felt happy. About killing her sister? Yes. She also says that she loved watching him rape the other young girl a few days before that. <gasps> this girl we don't really fully no. know about. Um, she says that she wants to do that for him every weekend, meaning that she wants to get him a girl to rape every weekend and get him as many virgins as he wants. Carla is an absolute monster and also says that she wants to have four kids with Paul so she can watch him rape them no. all. No, 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 no. I'm like literally shaking right now what? because the conversation, the dialogue between the two in this video is so infuriating. She Hmm. It renders you speechless. Like yeah. it is one, I, I can't comprehend the fuckery wow. in the brains of these two. 
And then there's a scene where she takes a long stem rose and she rubs it all over his body, all over his private parts. And she says that she wants to leave it at Tammy's grave the next day. This scene would eventually move from the basement up to Tammy's room where Carla would dress up and pretends to be Tammy. And she talks in a voice like Tammy and everything, saying things like, I hope Carla doesn't find out about us. And Paul refers to Tammy as his baby and is saying things like, this is my baby's room and I love you, Tammy. And then they had sex on Tammy's bed. And this is all on video. Oh my God. Yes. So I'm just going to drop in one small other little portion before we end part one for you guys. So they, there are others after Tammy. Um, Paul and Carla eventually would move out of the Homolka house and rent a bungalow in a town called Port Dalhousie. Carla is also really annoyed during this time that her family is, quote, taking so long to mourn the death of Tammy while she moves forward with plans for her June wedding. Like, how inconsiderate of my family to be so sad that my sister died that nobody even cares about my wedding that's happening in six months. Like, Carla, go fuck yourself. The fact that you're not mourning is disgusting. I still, I'm still stuck on the other shit. I, I, I know it. Yeah, I know. It's it is so wild. Now, with this move into their own place, this gives them more opportunities to expand on their horrific fantasies. And unfortunately, after Tammy's death, they've gotten a taste for blood and killing young women. And it's theorized that the criteria for them killing someone was whether they would be able to identify them or not. Not always the case, but it's theorized that with these other women that we're going to cover in part two, that if they got someone that would be able to identify them, that was grounds for ending their life. That could identify them afterwards? After the fact. Oh. And that's where I'm going to end part one. Fuck. If, um... I said ruin my day, not my week. I, t- I know. And we're bulk recording today. Yeah. And so Fatina's going to have to sit here and listen to part two while we keep <laughs> recording. And the rest of you are going to have to wait until next week. I don't have to. You I don't have to. Because I want to. That's true. Um, <laughs> no, you have to. Because like I said, I need true. someone else to feel my that's pain. That's true. Um, and it's cases like this where I'm like, you know... I appreciate the research you've put into this because it's one of those where it's a very notorious case. Yes. You think Canada, well, now you think Luca Magnata, but you definitely think Ken and Barbie. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Bernardo Homoka. And when you research true crime, that's going to be one of the top, like, couple cases. For sure. And I had never, and I know there's other cases, I have a terrible memory, first and foremost, but I never heard of it with this much detail. And, like, now it's going to be one of those things where I'm like, now I feel like I know this case. Yeah. Um, And it, it never stops amazing me how crazy these crimes are and right i'm right now my heart is shattered of her her saying like dude 
I want to have children with yeah. you for you to rape. Yes. I know. When I – there are a couple other podcasts that cover this oh. case, and I listened to those, and that was the – in one of them, that was the first time that I had ever heard about that part and even the fireside chat video, and I was like, yeah, there's how, a whole video how has this not been, like, more of, like, a, a hot topic in any of the other stories and, like, coverage that I've read yeah. about this case? And so I had – I regret it now, but I had to go and find that transcript because yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? That just took like everything that they had done to another level and to, I mean, I obviously haven't watched it, but to read the transcript. And I mean, we already know that Paul is fucked up, but then to realize how Carla's character and her her true personality right. is coming out and saying, I loved watching you rape Tammy and I loved raping Tammy. Yeah. Is just crazy. I think what makes it um man, I'm I'm walking away with a heavy heart right now. Like that's wild. Mm-hmm. Because that's like a little moment of them being themselves. That just because with a lot of true crime cases, what we get are News reports, what friends of the family or family decides to, you know, either put out in the media or what news puts together from police reports and talking to friends and, you know, all the known information. But it's rare when video Mm -hmm. or footage is found in cases because it's an unfiltered version of these people that really opens your eyes to the monsters they are. Absolutely. I mean, to have so much of this, and there is more, and we will talk about it in part two. There is so much stuff Yeah. on video that shows the true oh, character of these two people. That's wild. So... Um, I hope you guys have a great day after (laughs) listening to all of that. Um, Join us next Monday for part two. It's going to be, I don't want to say equally as good, equally as mind boggling. And um, yeah, that's what I got. That's wild. So don't be a stranger, guys. We'll uh, (laughs) we'll catch you next week. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye.